At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, let's continue to worship God this morning as we listen to His Word and respond in faith. And today we are in between sermon series. We just finished up a series on the different covenants God makes throughout the Old Testament leading up to the new covenant in Christ that we celebrated on Christmas Eve. We just finished that sermon series, and next week we're going to start a new series on the letter of 1 John. So this week in between is what we call a CP Choice Sunday. Instead of all the different Woodside campus pastors working on the same sermon schedule like we normally do. We get to preach whatever passage of scripture we want. And it's on my heart for us to focus on pastoral leadership. Pastoral leadership. You know, more and more over the last couple of years, we've focused on church community and the need for real committed community in the church. But we haven't focused so much on church leadership and what God says about how the church is to be led. But the scriptures have much to say about this, and I'm convinced that if we understand pastoral leadership biblically, then we can actually benefit from it more readily. And the specific passage we're going to look at this morning is 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're back in the letter of 1 Peter. If you just turn to the very end, the book of Revelation, start going back to your left, you'll pretty quickly hit the letter of 1 Peter. And we're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. But before we dive in, we need to get on the same page as far as some vocabulary goes, because this can be a little confusing depending on how familiar you are with church and how familiar you are with what the New Testament says about church leadership. As we understand it here at Woodside, the New Testament teaches that there are two offices of church leadership. The first one is pretty simple in that they are simply titled deacons. You can especially read about deacons in Acts chapter 6, Philippians chapter 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Those are the most significant passages to deacons. And deacons' areas of leadership really focus on the practical needs of a church. So we have a deacon over our security team. We have a deacon over our connect ministry, which does hospitality on Sunday mornings. We have a deacon over our men's ministry and a deacon over our women's ministry. That's the first office of church leadership that the Bible talks about, deacons. The other office of leadership, a little more confusing potentially because this one office has three titles and here they are, elder, pastor, overseer. That's one position of leadership with three different titles. It's kinda like the president. Sometimes the president is called the president. Sometimes he's called the commander in chief. And other times, he's referred to as the leader of the free world. Three different titles, all describing the same office of leadership. Well, it's the same for elder, pastor, overseer. Three different biblical titles, all describing the one same office. In fact, the text we're looking at today, 1 Peter chapter 5, is going to use each one of these descriptions, each one of these 
overlapping titles to describe the same role of leadership. So Peter starts off in chapter five, verse one, uh, talking to the elders. And then he calls them to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd is where we get the word pastor. So elder, shepherd. And then he tells these elder pastors to exercise oversight. And that verb oversight is where we get the title overseer. And whereas deacons lead through caring for the practical needs of the church, elders, pastor, overseers care for the spiritual needs of the church. So you can see the way that the two offices of leadership balance each other out and make sure our ministries operate holistically. So here at Woodside Lapeer, we have three elder pastor overseers, myself, Gary Gillum, and Jim Durbin. All right, so now that we have some of that nomenclature and vocabulary out of the way, let's look more closely at this text. First Peter chapter five, verses one through five, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, I exhort you elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, doing this not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The body of Christ, the church of the living God, a holy temple in the Lord, a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a people for God's own possession. So each one of these are labels given to the church throughout the New Testament. And there's some pretty impressive ones in there, some pretty stunning labels God gives us. The body of Christ, a holy temple, the light of the world. These are remarkable that God would refer to us with these labels. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle refers to us with one of our designations that's perhaps not so impressive. Two times, in fact, he refers to us as the flock of God. The flock, of course, in this context being a flock of sheep. And despite how helpful sheep can be, the meat and wool they provide are wonderful, but despite that, sheep are often characterized as stupid, right? If you refer to someone as a sheep, it is generally a negative connotation that they follow someone senselessly as a blind follower. And despite the fact that if you Google it, you may find some scientific articles that point out the cognitive and emotional complexity of sheep. Still, if you talk to a sheep farmer, they will tell you some stories 
about how impressively dumb sheep can be. And beyond that, listen to this line from Britannica.com. They say this, quote, sheep are basically timid animals who tend to graze in flocks and are almost totally lacking in protection from predators. So along with lacking much sense, sheep are also lacking in strength. Indeed, almost totally lacking in protection from predators. And you think about it. When we characterize someone as sheepish, what we're saying is they're characterized by fear. They're timid. And that's us. The flock of God. Senseless. Defenseless. So not quite as impressive as royal priesthood, is it? So here's an important truth about both sheep the animals and sheep the church. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them and guide them in wisdom. Sheep need a shepherd to protect them and care for them. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that we have just such a shepherd in the Lord Jesus, the one Peter refers to here as the chief shepherd. Jesus is the very embodiment of divine wisdom, and he leads us in paths of righteousness. And Jesus is the very embodiment of divine strength, and he used it to defeat our enemy at the cost of laying down even his own life. It takes strength to fight to the death, and that's what Jesus did as he marched toward Calvary. He faced down sin, Satan, death, and hell, and he took them on and defeated them for us, his sheep. Sheep need a shepherd, and we have a good shepherd in Christ. But as we look at the rest of the New Testament, we also see that Jesus raises up under shepherds. Peter here refers to himself as one such under shepherd. An under shepherd meaning a shepherd under the chief shepherd. In other words, the head shepherd Jesus raises up under shepherds from within the church to shepherd the flock of God for him. So as we've mentioned, he's describing here church leadership. Jesus leads the church through leaders raised up by him to lead the church for him. Chief shepherd, we are under shepherds, serving you, leading you at his behest, not our own. Sheep need a shepherd. Not only do we need the chief shepherd, Christ, to guide us and protect us, but we also need under shepherds, Jesus raises up, elder pastor overseers to guide us and lead us and protect us spiritually. Because there's a lot of folks who say they want Jesus. There's a lot of folks who say they love Jesus, they trust Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with church, let alone any pastors. I'll just kind of do Christianity on my own and on my own terms. And trust me, I get it. Many of these people have good reasons they don't want anything to do with the church and they don't want anything to do with pastors. Many of them were hurt by a church or taken advantage of by a pastor. And I've been hurt by a pastor. I've felt betrayed, so I know it really, really stinks. Nevertheless, the attitude of I don't need church, I don't need elder pastor overseers in my life, there is hardly anything that more flatly contradicts the New Testament. 
Sheep need a shepherd. We need Jesus, and we need the leaders Jesus raises up under shepherds to guide us, care for us, and lead us spiritually. And Peter here lays out three truths about shepherds who are to lead the flock of God. If we are to be led by under shepherds, if we need these leaders in our lives, then we need to know about these leaders. Who should they be? What should they do? Well, let's see what the apostle has to say here. Three truths about shepherds. First, he wants us to understand the gravity of shepherding. The gravity of shepherding. So notice here in verses one and two, central within this section is Peter's exhortation to his fellow under shepherds. He exhorts them there at the start of verse two, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. That's sort of his main point in this section. He's calling on pastors to pastor. Tend to the spiritual needs of your flock. Lead them into the green pastures of the gospel, feeding their souls with the truth of God's grace. Protect them from wolves in sheep's clothing. Protect them from false teaching and erroneous ways of thinking about God and his word. He also refers to their work as exercising oversight. In other words, he's saying that pastors are to humbly, graciously look into the lives of their sheep, making sure they're okay, making sure they're healthy and growing in Christ. So there's many ways that myself and the two other pastors here at Woodside Lapeer care for the flock. One of the ways that's most important to me is that the three of us meet every other Monday for about two, uh, uh, for about two hours, and basically, all we do is we have a membership directory in front of us for all the members here at Woodside Lapeer, and we go through each name and just check in with one another. Have we seen these folks in a while? Are they connected with, with uh, are we connected as pastors with how they're doing in life and in the Lord? Are they connected to worship on Sundays? Are they connected? in Christ-centered community in a life group? Does one of us need to follow up with them about anything and reach out? How can we pray for them? We ask those kinds of questions to one another about each one of our members so that we can hold ourselves accountable to actually pastoring them, to actually overseeing them, as Peter says to do here. And then after we have that kind of discussion about each member, we pray for them and pray for whatever needs we're aware of in their lives. So that meeting, as important as it is to me, is uh, for shepherding our members, that's just one expression of our effort here to care for the flock of God. The main point Peter is making here, pastors, care for the flock. However you're doing it, get it done. Get to know them, get connected with them, pray for them, teach them, meet with them, and on and on. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And also notice in verse one, the gravity of this calling. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, I exhort you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I exhort you as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. So notice a few things here. Peter doesn't simply say to these elders, hey guys, I thought maybe it might be a good idea if I asked or just, you know, maybe consider, maybe Shepherd the flock of God, maybe. 
No, he says, I exhort you, shepherd God's people. Not I ask you, not I recommend you, I exhort you. So this is a strong, attention-grabbing word. And then along with letting them know his intention to exhort them, he also adds these supporting statements. As a fellow elder, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the come, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God. So with these statements, Peter is adding force, gravity, intensity to his exhortation. Because there's different levels of passion that we give to different kinds of appeals, right? I'm just making a restaurant recommendation. So I might say, yeah, my opinion, uh, my thought is that you should go to this restaurant, not that restaurant. But you ratchet it up a little bit when your roommate's making a mess. Hey, you gonna do the dishes? Maybe, think about it. Or when your dog darts out of the house, headed straight to a busy street, you dial it up to 11. Sparky, come back, get back now. Well, the apostle is on this end of the spectrum. I exhort you as a fellow elder, as one Peter, who witnessed the sufferings of Christ as one who will partake in Christ's future glory, shepherd the flock of God. So there's a weightiness, there's a gravity to our calling that we can't ignore. It's not that other people's roles in the church aren't important, we all play a part. Everyone who has faith in Christ has been gifted by the Spirit to serve and church, uh, serve the church and minister the gospel. At the same time, if elder pastor overseers don't embrace the gravity of our calling, then the flock will be in danger. The flock will be exposed. So seek pastors who embrace the seriousness of our calling and pray for us pastors at Woodside Lapeer that we would do the same. So the first thing he teaches is about the gravity of shepherding. The next thing he shares about is the way of shepherding. The way of shepherding. In other words, he's going to share how shepherds are to approach their work of shepherding. So listen again to these verses, verses two and three. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So the first thing he says here is, I want you to have a willing heart in this work. You know, there are things in life that you can do begrudgingly, and that's fine. There are things in life that you can do kicking and screaming, and that's fine, as long as you do them. Uh, maybe it's because at the end of the year, but I'm thinking about taxes, right? You do not have to have a happy heart when you pay your taxes. The government doesn't care if you are a cheerful taxpayer just as long as you are a taxpayer. Peter says that can't be the case for pastors. Pastors pastor people. Pastors care for people. Pastors lead people. Pastors teach people. Pastors develop people. And if pastors have reluctant spirits and complaining attitudes, then people are gonna sniff it out and will lose credibility. The way of shepherding is with a willing heart, not under compulsion. The second thing he says here in verse two, shepherd the flock of God, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So a shepherd 
can't be a huckster. A good shepherd can't be a spiritual swindler. But the sad truth is that it's easy to abuse your spiritual influence for financial gain. This was true in the first century, even with one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot, and it's certainly true today. People who are being led are vulnerable to being abused, of being taken advantage of. The apostle says that cannot happen. If a pastor is after a bunch of money unfaithfully earned, then he's not a good pastor. He shouldn't be a pastor in the first place. The way of shepherding is the way of love for people, not love for money. Look at the next thing he says in verses two and three about the pastoral calling. He says, shepherd the flock of God, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the way of the shepherd is not the way of the bully, not the way of the tough guy, you know? There's a cattle ranching tool referred to as a cattle prod. I found this one on Tractor Supply Company's website. It ironically looks like a devil's pitchfork. But this thing will afford you a jolt value of 100 and a high performance of 200. And I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like it hurts. But you get the picture, right? This is how you get cattle to do what you want them to do and go where you want them to go. You force them by shocking their backside. You dominate them into submission. Peter says this is not the way of pastors. You shepherd sheep. You don't run cattle. There's a gentleness. There's a care and compassion that is to mark your ministry. And again, tragically, it's the case that many so-called pastors are in reality bullies. And they lead by way of intimidation and coercion and heavy-handedness. This may be the way it's done in corporate America. This, this may be the way it's done in Hollywood. This may be the way it's done in the military. But it is not to be the way it's done in the church. Instead, the apostle says, elder pastor overseers are to be examples, not asking the church to do something they themselves don't already exemplify. So I've got to say here, if you in your life have been abused or taken advantage of by a pastor, maybe it was physical abuse or sexual abuse, maybe it was financial abuse, exploitation here, if you've ever been bullied or domineered by a pastor, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. And what happened to you is not the way of Christ. That is not the way Jesus set up leadership in his church. And whoever hurt you should be held accountable, period, by church authorities and legal authorities if necessary. The way of the shepherd is the way of gentleness. The way of leading by example, not the way of taking advantage of people for temporary gain. Instead, look at what he says there in the very next verse. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, referring to his second coming, when the chief shepherd appears, 
you elders who shepherd well, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, that's where a true shepherd's joy is found. Not in taking advantage of people for their money, not in using their influence for sex or earthly temporary pleasure. He says a true pastor's joy and hope and motivation is the reward God gives at the end of their ministry, the unfading crown of glory. So I implore you, find pastors who are motivated by that. Motivated not by pleasing themselves, motivated not by pleasing you, but by pleasing God and being rewarded by God. When you've got shepherds like that whose hope is in heaven, they can be helpful to you in your journey here on earth because they're not caught up in the things of the earth. Their hope's in heaven and they're pointing you to heaven. That's the way of the shepherd, a willing spirit, a humble spirit, and a lead by example attitude. Finally, he teaches us about the response to shepherding. So this one's kind of more to you guys. The response to shepherding. Look finally at verse five. After Peter lays out who shepherds are and how they are to approach their ministry, he then gives some instruction for how the church is to respond to such leadership. So verse five, he especially is going to speak to younger people, but what he says to them will really apply to all of us. Verse five, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So it's hard to know with total certainty, but for whatever reason, he especially highlights the need for younger people to be receptive of the leadership of elder pastor overseers. Perhaps it's because younger people can have a tendency to resist leadership. Sometimes there can be a youthful arrogance that young people are prone to. Certainly was my case in life. But for whatever reason, he calls especially younger people to subject themselves to the shepherding of your pastors. In other words, allow yourself to be led. Allow yourself, uh, allow them to speak into your life. Receive their encouragement, receive their challenge, subject yourself to the elders of your church. Now, you may hear this and be thinking, man, that sounds scary. Subject yourself, submit to the elders, that sounds vulnerable. And as I mentioned previously, it certainly is a vulnerable position. It's vulnerable to be led by anybody puts you in a vulnerable spot. And that's why we have to ensure elder pastor overseers are biblically qualified. And one of the ways I'm doing that is teaching you from these texts that talk about pastoral qualifications and the way of a true pastor. But once you've got good pastors, give yourself to them and their leadership. Peter goes so far as to say, subject yourself to them. That's the response to shepherding we're called to. And Peter then expands on this in the rest of verse five. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, one of the things that I loved about living in the South, in Alabama, that's where I'm from, one of the things I loved about living there was how little clothing you had to wear. It was so convenient. You can wear shorts nearly year-round. And especially as a young boy during summer, I hardly ever put a shirt on. 
gas station, grocery store, no shoes, no shirt, come on in. And one of my favorites to wear are flip-flops. Flip-flops hardly cover any area of your foot, just these little straps, very minimal clothing. It was so easy to get dressed because you didn't have to cover up very much. But now, I live in Michigan, and oh my, do you have to clothe yourself. Not only do you have to clothe every inch of your body, you have to clothe every inch of your body with multiple layers of clothing or you will die. (laughs) And it takes so long to get dressed. I mean, it's just annoying. Gloves and socks and boots and pants and snow pants and undershirt and sweater and jacket and hat and scarf. I mean, it takes 30 minutes to do anything. And back home, just walk outside. Well, Peter says, clothe yourself like a Michigander (laughs) with humility. I mean, multi-layer cover yourself with humility toward one another. Not trying to outdo one another. Not trying to show yourself off. Not insisting on your way. Clothe yourself with humility. One biblical scholar, Peter uh, Paul Octemeyer, he says this about this Greek word for humility. It says it was a word used to describe the attitude of a slave toward his master. Now you think about that. Humility is the attitude expected of a slave toward his master. It's an attitude of deference. It's an attitude of service. It's an attitude of your needs before my needs, your preferences before my preferences. That's humility. But when we're always fighting for our own way, when we're unwilling to listen, when we're selfish in our interactions, when we don't have humility, then we clog the wheels in the life of our church. Leaders can't lead. Community can't happen. Ministry falls apart because arrogance and selfishness and pride grind things to a halt. But humility is like the oil that allows leadership and relationships and ministry to run smoothly and lovingly. And so the apostle calls us, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And look at this promise he attaches on the end. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Again, he's quoting Psalm 34 here. That's why it's in quotation marks. Look at this promise he attaches on the end. Clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud. God is against the arrogant. But he gives grace to the humble. Woodside, look here. Don't you want our church to experience the grace of God? Don't you want our church worship services to witness the power of God's grace? Don't you want our life groups to be communities of God's grace? Don't you want our ministries to be empowered by God's grace? Don't you want our children 
to be impacted by God's grace? Don't you want them to look back on their time at Woodside Lapeer and think, man, that was awesome. Love my church growing up. Gracious people. Gracious God. If you want that, then let's clothe ourselves with humility because God opposes the proud. He will shut this place down. Hundreds of churches are shut down across this country every year. God will do it. He will remove our lampstand, as he says in Revelation 1 and 2. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The flock of God, it may not be the most impressive title we hold as a church, but it is a good label for us because we are sheep. We need to be cared for, we need to be led, we need to be protected and graciously Jesus, God has provided for us a good shepherd that we can count on, Jesus. And I pray that whether it's this church or any other, I pray you seek after elder pastor overseers who will embody and live out this apostolic instruction in 1 Peter chapter 5. Sheep need a shepherd. We need the chief shepherd, Jesus, and we need under shepherds like Gary and Jim. Man, I cannot brag on those two guys enough. Just sit down with them and ask them questions. Hear their stories. Listen to them. You will be challenged. You will be encouraged. We need leaders like that in our lives who will care for us, pray for us, teach us, show us the way, show us Jesus through how they live and how they lead. I pray you find those kind of leaders wherever God leads you, wherever God leads you to join a church. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we come before you, the flock of God, your people. All of us have strayed, all of us have wandered, but you and your great mercy have reached us and welcomed us in to the green pastures of your grace in Christ. We thank you for our good shepherd, Lord, who cares for us, who loves us, who teaches us. And we thank you, God, for this people now led by under shepherds. God, we pray that you would help us to take heed to this instruction inspired by your Holy Spirit. May we live this out for the glory of your name and may we experience the grace you give to the humble. Lord, I feel the weightiness of this calling. I feel this myself. And I also feel burdened for all of us who've been hurt by church leaders in the past. We've been let down, we've been disappointed. I pray, Father, you would bring healing to all of our hearts. I pray that you would lead us to a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. But God, we thank you that Jesus can be counted on, that he's a good shepherd. So ultimately, help us to look to him and follow him and be nurtured by him and his love. And God, as we sing now, as we pray now, may we build our lives on the foundation of the love of the shepherd. Hear our prayer now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. 
We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.